Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. It's uh, Monday, June 1. Obviously, uh, really challenging, difficult, disturbing times in our country. Murder of... uh, George Floyd up in Minneapolis last week kind of has overwhelmed everything. And um, obviously this podcast is usually we try to avoid politics for the most part, unless it really enters college sports, really discuss social issues unless they enter college sports. We try to stick with things we know about, like chicken sandwich wars, other levels of expertise we might have, animal attacks. That's really our only united political front. <laughs> <laughs> and our area of expertise. And an area yes. of expertise. This is different. So we're going to talk some about this. And uh, I think it's important. You know, I think I speak for, for everybody else in the show. We were all as horrified at, at what happened and what, what's been happening all of our lives uh, involving uh, police brutality and, and social injustice and all the different things that, that go into it. And it's important to have a podcast of three white guys talking about it too we don't need to have um this isn't an issue for for any for any one race you know some some issues are, are too big and we're going to talk about college sports is rolling that i i saw pj fleck on first take this morning really passion speech as he always is pj is passionate about anything he's passionate about this cause but uh, I'll, I'll just start i'll just maybe give a few comments and then i'll, I'll let everybody say what they want to say i am like a I have like a religious opposition to cable news. I think cable news is one of the worst things in America. Straight up, if we could get rid of cable news, the three cable news channels, our country would be better. Believe that for a long time. And so I try never to watch. I did watch a little this weekend. Usually when I say that, people nod because they say, yeah, you're right. MSNBC is horrible or Fox News is horrible. No, they're all horrible. Uh, because they're designed to divide the country for profit. And that's how I feel about it. I mean, there are good people who work at those places, but their job is to scare the living crap out of you so you keep watching. I try to avoid them so I don't fall for the uh, the okey-doke, if you will. And uh, I did watch some this weekend, though. And I- I'll tell you, I-, I also try to look beyond the immediate and try to see maybe the biggest picture possible. And this is the picture I saw this weekend. I actually saw a lot of positives. I saw more white people out in those streets protesting. I saw huge peaceful protests. I saw widespread concern and understanding of this issue. And that's what I 
take out of this more than the predictable, easy to manipulate. And I, I don't blame cable news and start it, but they add the oxygen to it. But the burning of the fire or, or this looting or whatever. And I think it's too easy. Every time this stuff's happened in my life, it's the same pictures. It's the same story. And then the root issue gets lost because someone's breaking down a window. Um, and it always bothers me that, that that's what ends up becoming the thing. Uh, the people that are thieves and vandals and just straight up assholes that are doing that, I got no sympathy for, but they are the minority. The same way most police officers are out there trying to do the best job they can, and they get undermined by some terrible, some terrible members of their peers. So I actually saw a lot of positive out of the weekend, and I, I don't ever remember seeing that many, that much diversity in the protests. I don't know. I guess I've been watching these since Rodney King. I think that's good. You know, I, I, I lean back a lot during these things on, you know, just the divisions and how we can't really ever get anywhere as long as there are, there's money and power to be had in dividing and, and in exploiting fears. And I don't know if you've ever seen this clip or ever listened to this guy, Carl Lentz. He's a uh, Christian pastor. He's got a huge church. And he talked once about stating, he talked about Black Lives Matter once, talks about a lot of things. Very interesting guy. He said, um, if I sit there and say black lives matter, yeah, but all lives matter, right? But blue lives matter, white lives matter, all this stuff. And uh, he says, that's the point we have to get over, the but. Because he says, when Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount, giving, his, giving the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor. Nobody stood up and yelled, no, no, Jesus. Blessed are all of us. Blessed are... Blessed are the rich, too. What about the rich? The meek will inherit the... Well, what about this, right? It's not wrong to highlight those that need an air issue highlight or to lift up those who need to be lifted up. And when showing support on that is somehow politicized or used as a divisive way, you're getting tricked. And that's how I feel. And for so long, that's worked. And maybe it's working now, maybe it's working less, but I like to think it's working less. I like to think that I saw so many different people out there and so many more that would have gone if they could believe that it's going to be peaceful, that maybe we get somewhere with this slowly uh, as, as the generations change. Because I've been watching it my whole life and nothing really changes, but I, I actually saw more this weekend than others. So horrible situation. Obviously, we're not making very good progress, but if more people can focus on the real issues here and not on the division, I think we get somewhere. So I don't know. Pat, you got some thoughts? Uh, I do. I do. And that's well said. I appreciate everything you said. I, I wish I could necessarily join you in the optimistic feeling. I, I, I honestly don't feel that. And maybe that's partially because Louisville has been one of the most violent uh angry cities in the country and it's where i live and it has it's it's been pretty shocking pretty sobering i mean when this when the businesses downstairs downtown are are boarding up all their windows uh because several of them have, have had them broken out when the police have killed a woman brianna taylor here and that has been a 
major flashpoint when there was another man that was shot and killed by police last night. I don't know whether he deserved it or not, but the, uh, the, the, the this has come home in a very percussive way for me. And I, you know, I've trying, been trying to sort through it all. And I, 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 I found a, a tweet by Bill Curry, who to me was, was maybe the smartest and most noble college football coach I've ever known. I'm not sure he was a very good coach. He had his moments, but he was at Georgia Tech. He was at Alabama, and he was at Kentucky. And I covered him at Alabama. I'm sorry, at Kentucky, in depth. And I just thought that he was he he was way too smart for his job. He should have been in a, in a leadership position of more general nature than a football coach. But the, he tweeted this was on May 29th, and said, "My generation had a chance to change much of this illogical hatred, and we whiffed." ignoring change chances to change old racist attitudes though there have been has been progress in some areas in other ways we are back to the 60s no excuse i'm partially responsible humbled and sorry and i guess that what resonated to me because i i listened to him and i and i i like what he said and he really has tried to to improve those attitudes but i kind of look at, at he's 77 years old i'm 55 i look at my generation i think the same thing i i bought into a degree I think to the mindset or the teaching or whatever that in the by the seventies and eighties we had pretty well conquered racism. And I remember experiencing it and seeing it happen when I was young in the late sixties and early seventies. I remember going to high school basketball games and seeing black high school students fight white high school students in the parking lot. I remember seeing white people walking a confederate flag around a high school basketball arena and challenging people basically to come after them and and people accepting the challenge so i remember it but i guess i was a little bit naive or deluded or overly hopeful that we had kind of gotten to a point where racism wasn't as virulent and as part of the woodwork as it used to be. And I think it's clear that that, that, that is still the case. And maybe you're right, Dan. I mean, I think I, I agree that there has been a, a really great diversity of people out making their voices heard in these situations and, and out in the streets peacefully protesting. I, I, I have no time for, for looters and people that are violently uh, assaulting other people. And I have no time for cops that are doing it either. But I, we've got a long way to go, man. Long, long way to go. And the Killer Mike, if you saw the Killer Mike uh, uh, speech, I guess I would call it, which I thought was really powerful. He's beat up the politicians you don't like at the at the at the ballot box. Vote and make your changes that way. Statements are good. Nothing wrong with statements, but statements aren't going to solve much. I think we need to do things that are within our power from a democratic process to change where we're going. Yeah. That's my speech. Well, let me just say, I don't think anything's good. Uh, let me just reiterate. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's terrible. I just see that little level of progress. And I think there is greater condom condemning of this murder than I've seen in the past. And I, I'm trying to take some kind of solace out of this. And I'm trying to ignore what the folks that want the status quo to continue want to focus on, which is somebody looting. The one thing we saw is the looters were not African-American ex exclusively in any way. Probably never were. But I mean, I just watched a video of like two white women taking surfboards out of some shop in Santa Monica, right? 
It's all, all, all the things. I just, I just hate the division of the country where we can't, we focus on these edges. So is there still racism? Absolutely. My God, is it, and they're still flying Confederate flags, even in places that weren't in the Confederacy. Is there still the lack of ability, like I said, to even hear the word, the phrase Black Lives Matter and not recoil in anger? The person that recoils in anger often doesn't think that they're racist. Most people in this country don't think they're racist. They just, they can't recognize it. Like, what, what is it about you that makes you react that way when you hear it, but you don't when someone says, blessed are the poor. That's the stuff you have to spend a lot of time looking in, into. And that's the stuff all of us have to do and challenging even more than vote and vote, vote all you want, but don't fall for these divisions and the, the divisions are so easy. So I don't no way do I think things are good. I just, I hope that it's, that there's something in there that when the fires go out, We've we've made a step forward because if not, uh, you know, do I don't think my generation is going to lead it. Our generation is going to lead it either. But hopefully, we're a step better than the ones before. But we should we should be able to. Uh, obviously, we're not doing a very good job uh, right now, and that's uh, that's on all of us. Well, I obviously watched a lot of cable news this weekend. I, I tried to watch every every kind of perspective just to just sort of sort of see what was out there and see that you know there were so many different geographic areas that were uh, that there were protests this weekend and that there were uh, that there were obviously incidents with police and uh, and I, I guess after kind of marinating on it for for a couple of days and thinking this morning uh, of you know about what to say here um, my prevailing like takeaway is just pessimism over why this time is going to be any different. Like there are certainly more people protesting and there's certainly like, like Dan said, he, he gathered optimism from, you know, some, some of the peaceful protest scenes, but I, I sit around and, you know, spent some time last night and this morning looking at like what college sports leaders were saying and, uh, you know, spent some time looking at what political leaders were saying. And I see very little actionable things for the future. I see, you know, I've lived through thinking back Eric Garner, Freddie Gray, Laquan McDonald, and going back to Amadou Diallo back in the back in the late 90s like when these were all different but the the, the themes were the same and it's just like what will we have learned this time to make it different? And that's that's the question I want answered. And what are we going to do to actually make tangible change going forward as as a, you know, you know, between just us as individuals, between our governments, b- between our elected leaders? Like, how are we going to take this moment? Because we are clearly at a generationally defining moment right now. How are we going to take this moment and improve and change? And and that's what I have not heard a, a, enough of yet. I've heard a lot of plaudits. I've heard a lot of rhetoric. I just haven't seen enough to, you know, leadership and direction toward change. I don't know that we'll get much out of the leadership. I think there was a Luke Russert tweet I saw. Yeah, President 73... One. Biden 77, Pelosi's 80, Connell 80, 78. These people are relitigating the 60s, man. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I don't have any faith in the politicians because they they make their money by dividing. And so until we get a new generation that changes that, and I don't know, I think that system is designed to divide. They've divided the country and, the, and societies forever. 
I feel like it has to come by each individual person trying to figure out what they're doing wrong, what they're thinking wrong. Why aren't they empathetic? Why can't they sit back? And part of that, and, and it's why I'm, I don't necessarily like talking. At, I, I'd rather listen, right? But I, I agree with you, Pete. It's like, there's a lot of like, okay, there's these empty, we're all opposed to this and I'm upset about this and this shouldn't happen. Okay, I, I, look, if you, if you disagree with that, I, I, you know, you're a horrible person. This guy got murdered right in the street. And he's just, there's, and the only reason we know about it is because there was video. There's been so many of them before that we didn't get to see the video of. But if you're focusing on the stolen surfboard, we're never going to get anywhere. And so I don't know. I think it's about each per, it's got to be each person opening up and thinking about all the different things and stop, stop worrying about battle lines and slogans and stuff and start saying, yeah, maybe we can make a change. Not that I think anything good is coming. I don't think it's, you know, I, I, my optimism, I guess, is probably overstated as optimism. It's just I tried to look past like the burning building and say, well, there's a lot of buildings they passed that didn't burn. A few people were smashing windows. Most people were not. I don't know. I'm hope I'm hopeful something come out of it. I think it, it, it all has to come from the people, though. It has to come from people who straight up don't think they have any issues at all with prejudice or racism or anything like that or only want to blame a leader or only want to do this or that. It's it's all of us because we can all do better. We can all we can all we can all do a better job on this. Uh, along those lines, and to bring this to the college sports world, I thought extremely interesting comments, heartfelt comments. I think this is as honest, honestly, what he's thought for a long time from uh, Lavelle Moton, the head coach at uh, North Carolina Central University, basketball coach. Very, very good coach. Won about 60% of his games. Four NCAA tournaments. Been there the last three. I think they were going to make it this year. They were the number one team in the MEAC. He was on ESPN radio, and he said this. Uh, he is African-American. School is a historically black uh, university. Quote, the reality is, and he's talking about his coaching peers, most of whom are white. The reality is a lot of these coaches have been able to create generational wealth. Their grandkids are going to be able to live a prosperous life because athletes who are the complexion of George Floyd were able to run a football, throw a football, shoot a basket, or whatever have you. So they have been able to benefit from athletes that look like George Floyd and many more. But whenever people who are the complexion of George Floyd are killed, assassinated, murdered in the street in broad daylight, they're silent. I have a problem with their silence because it seems as if black lives matter to them whenever they can benefit from it or whenever they're getting them first downs, catching an alley-oop or shooting a three-pointer or whatever. When it's time for humanity to speak up on behalf of student-athletes, it's silent. It's crickets. And my problem is if murdering of the murdering of black Americans is too risky of an issue for you to stand up as a leader, who are they really playing for? Obviously, very, very strong comments, very direct comments. Uh, good on Lavelle for, uh, for, for putting it out there. What do you think? What We saw a million statements from coaches, schools, leagues, I don't know. What do you think of these, these comments? Wow. I thought those were very strong comments. Very, uh, you know, in a profession where 
everybody pretty well tries to play nicey nice with each other, and which is you know one of the reasons nobody ever drops a dime on anybody else for cheating, which is a whole other matter. But uh, Lavelle Moulton's calling it like he sees it, and I think he sees it pretty well. I really do. I think that there is uh, uh, a lot of veracity to what he said. Now, I do think, and again, you know, you talk maybe about some baby steps here, Dan. There were, there were more people that spoke out, more coaches and administrators and players, notably athletes who spoke out at this point in time than I've ever seen in regard to a social issue. And I think uh, there was wisdom on the part of coaches, administrators, school presidents, whatever, to let people have their say. But for the most part, I, I also think that they, well, all right, many coaches said, spoke from the heart and said what they said. There was also some disingenuousness. There was just some flat, I need to say something to it. And quite frankly, there was probably some who felt like, or even were being told, we're going to get killed in recruiting if we don't say something here. You know, I'd like to think that's the that's the minority of people, coaches, but I think that that was probably at least a little bit of the mindset out there. And so you get statement after statement after statement. But, yeah, there's a lot of times when things happen when college coaches are the last people to comment. Uh, uh, Mike Rosenberg had a good line in a story uh, over the weekend, a good column from him where he said that, you know, coaches – won't choose a toothpaste unless they find out whether it can help them in recruiting. <laughs> so it always goes back to recruiting as we know here at the podcast. <laughs> yeah, always, always. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm encouraged that some people will say something, but I think Lavelle's speaking the truth and speaking it about some of the people in the highest positions uh, within his profession, within college sports in general, who's the highest paid basketball coach. Well, it's either Cal or it's K. Kay hadn't said anything yet, to my knowledge. You know, and they, they, I'm not saying they have to, but sometimes when you're in, at the top of your profession, it gets noticed when you don't. Yeah, it's been uh, well. First of all, Lavelle Moton's comments were were, were awesome, and uh, I, I really thought they they just sort of were streamlined right to the to the core of uh, of of this issue. And um, when I look at Lavelle Moton, I look at like a little bit of you know. I, I did the, the data this weekend. There are 14 black coaches in the FBS in football out of 130. There are less than 30 percent of black coaches in Division One college basketball. Um, in in both those sports, the participatory numbers and participatory numbers in basketball, it's around 60 percent black. In football, it's Division One. They don't have it for FBS, but it's about fifty percent. So, I mean, there is a, there's a huge disparity in in the leadership voices of these programs compared to the people playing them. And when when you look around college athletics and you see that, like, why is Lavelle Moton not an ACC coach? He was about to go to his fourth straight NCAA tournament this year. They won the regular season. If it didn't happen, um, if 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 they were able to play their conference tournament, he, he would have been favored to do that. And 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 you look at you look at some of that, and he's not even a guy who who, quite frankly, is really mentioned. Like, I, was he in the, involved at Wake Forest? You know, right up right up the road for for the head coaching job. And you know, I do think that for change to happen in college sports, it has to be born of opportunity. Um, until about a year ago, there were no black commissioners of the 11 conference commissioners. Now that that's changed in the Big Ten and in the uh, and in the in the Sun Belt. But if you if you if you go through um, 
80% of the ADs are white. Like if you, if you really go through and look at college sports and look at who is playing them versus who is leading them, there's a, there's a huge disparity there. And there needs to be mechanisms to change that. I, I had looked earlier about this. I know he was a candidate at Georgia State, at UNC Wilmington, at I think East Carolina at one point. But yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, Wake Forest, I don't know. I mean, the guy's wins. And and it's, let me tell you this, you don't win at North Carolina Central University 60% of your games because of strong ass offers. <laughs> <laughs> you win because your coach, the talent, you get some guys, and then you do your really good job beating beating someone with pretty much even talent. You can't fake it over that long. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I here's what I would love to see from a from a coach and and I I part of this is that they're and we all focus on what we focus on in life. I mean, we're all trying to do the best job we can on our job and taking care of our family and on issues that matter. And that is the benefit, the privilege if you will of not having to sit there and say when the police pull me over, they're going to drag me out of a car and kill me. That that doesn't enter my mindset. And so I'm lucky. I just trying to get out of the ticket that I probably deserve. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I get that some of these coaches haven't spent time, but then again, considering, because one of the things that changed my life perspective was covering uh, basketball, covering AAU basketball, really, because I got to know in my twenties, my early twenties, I got to know hundreds of, of, of young African-American kids who came from cities and, you know, the, the AAU circuit. So, you know, you just, you just got to meet such a diversity of people from all over. And you really quickly realize that a 17 year old kid from Southeast DC is not that much different than the 17 year old kid you were. And, and it changed the perspective and all of the other people in basketball. So I would think that they would be very, very in tune on this. And I would love to see one coach, step up in football or basketball and not just put out one of these things, but like call them out. Let's, we need to do this. We need to do that. We, I am going to do this really be aggressive. These guys do have generational money. They got FU money. They've got power. I'm not saying this coach, I'm not gonna call out by name cause I don't know what they think, but there's gotta be somebody in this <laughs> group of coaches that have millions and millions of dollars talking to hundreds and hundreds of people here that can sit there and sit there and go, yeah, you know what? I'm going and I'm going to talk like Lavelle Moton. And if it hurts my career, then so be it. If my boosters who look a lot like and are about the same age as the people uh, that, that are the House of Representatives and the, and the, the White House and all that get upset with me, I don't care. I got X number of Final Four banners here. I got National championships, I got whatever. Like, the power one of those guys could have on this and not to fall to the to the, the black head coach at NC Central. My God, man, he's the one talking out. He's got more courage than you. And, and it's like you have an ability to talk to people in a way they will listen, in a, in a fruitful way. And it doesn't have to be national politics, but something challenge them on something. And, and instead we don't have that. We don't, you know, and, and just their, their influence is so great. We all know that. And so there's gotta be somebody out there who, 
somebody who has, I don't, I don't know what all these guys think. Somebody who has that level of, of profile can pretty much say anything. And they're going to reach an audience that needs to hear something. That's, you know, that's the thing. You can reach audiences. It's why, you know, hey, Coach O is going to talk about uh, wearing a mask or something, whatever, you know, stay at home, right? Because you use these different people. You use celebrities in different ways. You've got a lot of power. And so I would have a lot of respect. I always was was moved as a, as a kid. My dad uh, really liked John Thompson at Georgetown. I remember... He was like, he's the only guy really talking out. And it was always on John Thompson to, to, to talk about all the issues because he was the black coach. It was on John Thompson or it was on uh, John Chaney or it was on Nolan Richardson. Those three guys had to do all the talking in the 80s. So there wasn't anybody else. That was it. Yeah. No, that, that was absolutely the case. And quite frankly, it was still the case until relatively recently. Like, you're, you know, we've written those stories and you're like, who can I talk to? Who's an African-American coach who's going to really speak truth to power? Like, well, we got to go back to John Thompson, who stopped coaching when? we got to go back to Nolan Richardson, who stopped coaching when? Uh, you know, Shaka Smart, uh, Lavelle Moton, sure. But there's also been a generation of pretty cautious uh, orators in those positions as well. Yeah, I, I agree with Pat on uh, on that. There have been, uh, I do think just generally, not just with African-American coaches, but with all these coaches, the they make every decision through the prism of, I have $13 million left on my deal, and I don't want to do anything to endanger that. And that is that is the North Star of of that, that guides a lot of these guys. Um, and look, I, I know part of me says they, they can't blame them. Like, you know, going going and being controversial and rocking the boat today at a university campus. And um, if you look at all the different dynamics uh, that 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 go into that, what was it a couple of years ago with Shaka when he when he came out against Trump? Do you remember that? Like this was, yeah. you know, 16, I think, something like mm -hmm. that. And that quickly like flared up into a thing in Texas. And, uh, you know, it's it's just it's just interesting. It'll be interesting to see if. What has happened now, just in the micro of our little world, our little college coaching world, if this empowers, enables, emboldens coaches to really say what's on their mind. Like I had a college coach joke with me this morning. OK, all these statements are great. He was kind of mocking all the statements on Twitter. He goes, let's just ask these guys if they voted for Trump. huh? Why don't the recruits ask the coaches if they voted for Trump? And then maybe, you know, then maybe we can get a little little peek into where where their heart uh, where their heart really lies. And I thought that was a I thought that was an interesting point of um, when, when you look at the when you look at the basketball landscape and, and you look at, you know, what what these guys are saying compared to what they're feeling. Shaka Smart, for the record, uh, referred to when Trump was elected, said it feels like a slap in the face. Yes, I, I, I've always been struck by this because I wrote the book Glory Road with Don Haskins and a 66 team. And so I know a lot of those guys. And one of the first black players Coach Haskins ever had down in Texas Western, this is the 1966 Texas Western team, if you don't know the story, was Nolan Richardson. Now, when Haskins won the national title, he was 35 years old. Now, you imagine a coach winning a national championship at 35 years old, the job offers that would come in, okay? Everybody on earth would want Don Haskins because he was a hell of a coach. He ended up winning over 700 games and all that. He didn't get any job offers. Now, eventually, he got offered like Lamar. <laughs> Oklahoma <laughs> State called once where his alma mater. 
Yeah. He got offered a job at the ABA. Nobody wanted Don Haskins. 35 years old because he was the coach of the black team. Didn't want him. Whatever reason, they were making up lists, hundreds of schools for decades. Nobody wanted Don Haskins. One of his first players, Nolan Richardson. Nolan Richardson ends up head coach at Tulsa, ends up at Arkansas, wins the national championship, 1994. 2002, after making four consecutive NCAA tournaments, they got a bad year going. People are heated on them. They lose a game at Kentucky. Pat, you're probably there. Might have been at this game. I was. And he says after, he's frustrated. He says, they want to take my job. They can fire me tomorrow. And they fired him. Now, he had been there 17 years. And rather than somebody at the school calling him up, saying, are you all right? What are you thinking? What's going on? Oh, he's not. We don't want him. All right. So Arkansas fires him. They're tired of Nolan Richardson. Guess what? They killed for four straight NCAA tournaments right now. Noah Richardson never got hired again. National championship coach. Never got hired. As far as I know, I don't know if anyone even looked at him. He's coaching the WNBA. Could Nolan be a little tough? Yeah, he could be tough. They all can be tough. Guy won 508. He's won 71% of his games in an NCAA championship. He is, let's see, 78 now. So back then he was 60, 60 years old. Nobody hired him. So why do you say nothing? Yeah. You right. got an at, you know, and that's it. And so, so maybe that, may- that's the thing. One coach mm-hmm. gets his career stopped by playing black players, and one of the players he plays <laughs> ends up a coach. They both win the national championship, and he gets his career cut. College sports. And that's the thing. That's the thing. And we, I mean, we have talked about it. We know it. We've seen it for decades, all three of us. But the scariest thing out there for athletic administrators is an angry black coach. I mean, that's they they that terrifies them because it, because their boosters get uncomfortable and that makes them uncomfortable. And Nolan Richardson was an angry black coach. He was a great coach. You hired him anywhere, he would win, and his style of play would be immensely popular. But he would also get in the press conference and he would say things that would make everybody really uncomfortable if you were of a persuasion that didn't want to hear an angry black coach and. So that that we've seen time and time again. I mean, LaBelle Moton, that's probably one reason he's still at NC Central, because he's always been a bit unvarnished as far as, you know, coming out and saying what he wants to say. I'm glad USA Basketball has got him in their pipeline, which is good. But there's not much reason for him to still be at NC Central. And it's, you know, it's on people like us probably, too, who make coaching lists of who should get what job and we don't put him on there. Shame on us, too. I thought uh, Moton's uh, tweet. I guess, what do you call that? What A tweet flurry the other day where he did a tweet story basically where he recounted his own encounter with police violence. He had Raymond Felton in his uh, in his car and where basically he was pulled over, pushed to the ground, face jammed into the ground. Um, you know, he was, you know, I, I thought that was a, uh, that was just a really powerful show of leadership and a really searing, you know, example that, that, I, that, that went viral and I'm really glad it did just because it, it really hit home of, you know, his life experience and what he went through. And, and I thought sharing that was one of the most powerful things we've seen in this college sports space because it, it, it was very tangible, I guess, for me uh, just to, to to hear somebody recount that uh, that that type of an encounter. And, and, you know, I was appreciative of that. But sadly, I think we're in a world where that would make, you know, 
like Pat said, athletic directors uncomfortable, PR people uncomfortable. It would make maybe make fans uncomfortable. And uh, I don't know. I think Lavelle Moton in the in the past in the past few weeks has really done a service to a lot of coaches and a lot of people in college athletics by being just an authentic voice for these times right now. Yeah, he's doing a service for us and helping us yes. with this stuff by saying something. And and just to recap that story, if you didn't hear it, he, you know, Laura, um, Lavelle Moton played at North Carolina Central and Raymond Felton was at UNC on the national championship team. And they knew each other because the schools are very close, right? And that was the year Raymond Felton was going to go pro. And they got pulled over and they got thrown to the ground. And then the cops realized it was Raymond Felton. UNC star, national champion, they let him up. And they never said anything because they didn't want to kill Lawrence, uh, to kill um, uh, uh, Raymond's, uh, I'm sorry, Raymond's uh, NBA draft status or something like that. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they'll be, but there is a massive opportunity for someone to step up and be the leader that all their little coaching slogans say. And there's a massive opportunity for for fans, for for uh, administrators, for boosters, for everyone to look in, inside themselves. Because, again, it doesn't change. It's not going to change with pol- politicians. It's going to change with the people. And we all need to change in a better way. What, you know, because the, the big crack on, on Nolan was he's always talking about race. Well, you know what? Should have been talking about it more, it turns out. Yeah, no kidding. You know, Nolan Richards. And I, Nolan I know Nolan life. in a different way than most people. Yeah. Nolan is a very he can be a, a a challenge. Okay, he's he's not he is not he's he's an aggressive guy. I know him in a different manner and have had a great friendship with him and enjoyed our our time together just because of of um the background. But and if you really listen to him, if he exp- when he expresses himself that way, you see a whole different guy. But I think he would be that way privately with his, you know, his players swear by him and all that. So, but there's a guy who talked out and somehow with a national title, he was no longer employable. All right. We're going to, uh, we're going to end this here. I know that people tune in for jokes and college sports football talk and stuff. I guess we got some college sports talk, but, um, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just a weird time. We'll be back later in this week. And, uh, obviously as, as news develops, we'll, we'll cover what we need, but we do understand that, you know, what we are, you know, I watch the food network cause it takes me away from whatever's happening in the world. They're just cooking something and that's kind of what we're, so there'll be uh animal attacks and chicken sandwich wars and whatever other mayhem we can come up with. But, uh, please subscribe and, uh, share and, uh, we look forward to, uh, chat more about it later, hopefully in, um, some times of progress. I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news. We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering D.C. scandals. With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories. So subscribe to and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod.